Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us in worship. Thankful for the team that stepped in to lead us in worship this morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm always so excited to see you, but this Sunday is definitely a special Sunday. This Sunday, we are celebrating our fall kickoff as a church. It feels like we just settled into summer, but fall is here, and I know that for several reasons. There is pumpkin, pumpkin everything everywhere you look. Anyone else like a big pumpkin fan? Definitely not me. I don't, I don't like it one bit, but I see it everywhere. So I know fall is here. Students are back in school. Football is back, unless you're a UCF fan. And it looks like it might be another year. You UF fans are in the exact same boat. It was a hard day for Florida. If you're the random person here from Kentucky, congratulations that God's favor was bestowed upon your, your team. Um, Oh man, it was it was a brutal. I was so I had to rewrite my whole sermon because I was just gonna hype up UCF for being the dominant school in the state of Florida. It's like, nope, we all stink. Uh, anyway, that's not the point. It is good to be here as a church. Fall is here, so that means we are kicking off all of our fall classes, our initiatives, and we are so excited because everything we do is designed to provide you and me an opportunity to follow Jesus, to experience Him for ourselves, and to uh, experience immeasurably more as we exchange the common for the holy. So. We're going to talk more about it throughout the course of the sermon, in the closing announcements, and in the fellowship event that follows. But several things coming up. Men's Morning Theology is going to kick off. Ladies Theology, both of those are going to start not this week, but next week. We have an events tab on our website, a much-requested events tab that you can go there for more information. Our student ministry that Bethany is starting for us is starting this Wednesday, this Wednesday at 630 at her house. So students sign up. If you want to sign up to serve, to be a part of that ministry and serve alongside Bethany, let her know. Let me know. Fill out a connection card. We have very basic requirements. You have to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and pass a background check. If you can do those two things, we will help you. (laughs) Bethany might have other, Bethany might have higher standards than I do. I think just be more mature than the kids you're trying to leave and know a little bit more about Jesus and uh, then just tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. The rest kind of falls into place. What I am most excited about, I'm so excited, men's theology, ladies theology, I'm excited for the student ministry, the kids ministry is ramping up. Uh, What I'm really, really excited about, we're going to be talking about this a lot over the course of the next month, is we have spent the last several weeks, months at this point, developing what we're calling the discipleship pathway. The discipleship pathway, and we have designed a series of six meals in six homes with six couples or families or teams of people, groups of friends that have experienced God change their life as they stepped in, leaned in, took action, expected miracles, and much more. And so we're going to be rolling that out. We're going to be teasing it out over the course of the next several weeks, giving you several opportunities. But if you want to step in and experience the difference that only God can make, and I'm talking about whether you are here for the very first time just trying to figure out faith, or you've been walking with God for a long time, and you just feel like your relationship with him has kind of fallen flat, this is designed for you. And again, you can visit the website for more information. We'll have an opportunity over the course of the next several weeks. But All of this seems like it deserves a special celebration, so immediately following our worship gathering in the lobby space, join us for some classic Coke and kettle corn. We're thinking, what is fall? And it's like, well, we're melting outside, so we're going to ice down some glass Coke bottles, have some kettle corn, and celebrate after service about all the things that God is doing in our midst. I would love to pray, and then we're going to kick off our study. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. It is a privilege this week and every week. It is a privilege to gather together as your people 
to make much of you, to sing songs of praise, to reflect on your glory and your goodness, to figure out faith, to take steps in the direction that you're leading us. It's a privilege that you have made it possible and extended an invitation to follow you. I pray that you would be with me as I, as I teach your word. I pray that you'd be with us as a church as we sit under the authority of your word, that it might not just be something we grasp with our mind, but it would sink into our heart, our mind, our soul, and, our, and it would change us as we follow you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are kicking off a brand new study. It's going to take us a few weeks to make our way through it. So if you would grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And the, st- the book of Acts is the story of God building his church. And it reveals what a special privilege it is that as the people of God, we get to play a part in it. So have your Bible. In fact, I want to issue a challenge to you as we begin this series. If you don't bring your Bible to church, which we do an outstanding job, I sit here and I watch you. If you don't bring your Bible to church, bring it with you in this study because I want you to be able to see for yourself what God has to say. You never have to take my word for it. Everything I say is prayed over, it is researched, it is hopefully well prepared, it is moderately delivered, but it has been exceptionally received because the Holy Spirit goes to work with his word to change our lives. There is a reason. I don't know if you realize this or not. Everything we do has a reason. Some are good, some are not. This is a good one. Everything we, or there's a reason we don't put the main text on the screen. Because I want you to be able to sit with your Bible open and see what God has to say. Now, we put the supporting text up there so you don't have to flip back and forth and figure it all out if you don't want to. You're welcome to. But, man, I want us as a church, I want us to be able to sit under God's word. And we can't sit under God's word if we don't have God's word in front of us. So bring your Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, we always have them available for you on the way into the worship space. Please just get up, grab one of those big blue Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. We would love to give you a copy of God's word as our gift to you. Book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Um, I'm just going to read a few portions of it. We're going to do all of Acts chapter 1 today. It starts this way. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus. Maybe your translation says in my former book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and see this, and speaking to them about what? The kingdom of God. See how helpful it is if you have God's word in front of you? Speaking to, it's like an open book test. Speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So a few things as we kind of get started into this study. We're going to make our way through it pretty quickly. What is the former book the author is talking about? Luke, that's right. It's the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus, his his birth, his life, his death, his ministry, his teaching, his burial in a tomb, his resurrection from the dead. And he wrote the gospel of Luke to tell us the story of Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus did, how he lived, how he died, and how God raised him from the dead. And then, in short order, he set out to write the, the book of Acts to tell us the story of the church. And together, they make up a significant portion of our New Testament. The story of Jesus and the Gospel of Luke and the story of God building his church through the power of his Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And uh, we spent the last, we spent several uh, months studying the book of Luke. It is a fascinating story. If you're joining us and you, you don't know, you can go back and you can read the story of Luke. 10 out of 10 recommend it. story of Jesus will change your life. But the story of Acts picks up where, G, where uh, Luke leaves off. 
story of Acts picks up after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as Luke writes the beginning of Acts, he says this. He says, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering, meaning after his death and after his resurrection, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, Luke kind of gives away the direction this book is going to go because he says this is what Jesus was about. Can you imagine if you only had 40 days with people you know and love to leave a lasting legacy? Like, what are the things you would pass on to them? For me, I would pass on our bank account information to my wife. We've been married for nine years. She doesn't, she, she never concerns herself with things like, I don't know, our finances. And so if I like, my time was limited, I would say, Carissa, please, please, here are the passwords I've been telling you for nine years. If I were to die, there's not much there, but you need access to it. Like, I think like, man, if I just had a few days, that's what I would pass on. I would pass on to my daughter how much I love her. And I would pass on to her my love and affection for Jesus. And just brighten, if I have 40 days, let me tell you, please, how much God loves you. If I had 40 days with our church, I would tell you, please make sure the connection cards are straight on the chairs when you set up in the morning. Please make sure the signs are out. I'm just kidding. I would tell you about Jesus as well. But if you only had 40 days to tell someone you know and love the things that matter most to you, what would you tell them? Think about that. And it's kind of silly, but it's kind of serious at the same time. Many of us have documents and wills that record this information in the event that we don't have 40 days to pass it on. Jesus died on a cross. He was buried in the tomb. He came back, and for 40 days, he talked about the kingdom of God. Now, if you're new to church, you might wonder, what is the kingdom of God? And the truth is, if you're not new to church, you might also wonder, what is the kingdom of God? Because so often we talk about Jesus as our Savior, but we never talk about Jesus as the sovereign king. We're going to change that as we make our way through the book of Acts. Because Jesus didn't just come to be a Sunday school story to be celebrated once a week. He came to reign and to rule, to establish a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that will have the impact and influence in every single person in this life and in the next. And Jesus had 40 days with his disciples and he said, these are the things that matter most. This is the kingdom for which I came. This is the kingdom for which I died. And this is the kingdom I inaugurated when I was raised from the dead the very first Easter Sunday. In the story of the book of Acts, the story of God building his church is the story of God establishing his name, his fame, and his reign as King Jesus. And here's the thing, if you're new to church, you're trying to figure out church, or you've been in church for some time, and you think, I don't know about this idea as King Jesus. I hear you. But did you die on a cross and raise yourself from the dead? No. Like if someone can die on a cross and raise themselves from the dead, they get to be king if they want to be king. And the truth is, if he can come from heaven to earth, live a perfect life, which Luke says there is overwhelming historical evidence for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If all of that is true and he can raise himself from the dead at the end of the day, I want him to be king. Because even if it rubs me the wrong way, I think he might know better than I know. He might be able to see around corners that I can't see around. We're going to talk about what that looks like in our everyday life. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in our church. But Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. The best definition I've ever found about the kingdom of God, the most simple definition, is the kingdom of God is this. It is everywhere in everyone the reign and the rule of God reaches. The kingdom of God is everywhere in everyone the reign and the rule of God reaches. God graciously extends, at this point in history, an invitation into his kingdom. At some point, God's kingdom 
will come to full fruition at the second coming of Jesus and every knee will bow before Jesus. But now he's inviting us to experience the immeasurably more in the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts is the story of God building his church to, to spread his kingdom. The, sto- the, bo- the story of the book of Acts is the story of God building his church so that his name, his frame, and fame, and his reign would reach the ends of the earth. And it reveals to us the spe- special privilege it is to play a part in it. Now, here's the thing. The kingdom of God and the church of God are not interchangeable. But the, ki- the church of God is the way the kingdom of God goes forth in the world. Does that make sense? God could have chosen any way and sometimes, like, if I ever question God on anything, like, I, I see sickness, I see pain, I see death, I have a theological answer for all of it. The thing I, when I get to heaven, the thing I'm going to ask God, as if I'm going to have the ability to lift my jaw off the, you know, ground to talk to God. But if I could, I mean, God, you died on a cross, you rose from the dead, and you left the message in the hands of your church? Like a, what do they call it now, a slide deck? Something, like, you could have just blown it out there for the world to see pictures and evidence, but you left it in the hands of the church. But that was God's, that was God's plan from the beginning. In fact, Jesus had his disciples together before he ever went to the cross. And he spent about two and a half years at this point, investing into them, teaching and preaching the things of the kingdom of God that they had no idea as evidenced by the life they lived and the questions they asked. And they got them all together. And he just began to talk with them. He said, Hey, who do, in fact, if, I think we have this on the screen, Matthew chapter 16. He said, who do the crowds say that I am? And they threw out some different ideas. Some say you're John the Baptist, and that's kind of silly because John the Baptist had his head cut off and everybody saw it. Some say you're Elijah. Well, he lived a long time ago. That's even more silly. All of these silly ideas floating, out, floating around out there about who Jesus was. And then Simon Peter, who was always the first to say something and often the, the first one to step in his own mess, he had like the, the shining moment of his life at this point. Until next week, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what Simon was saying was something more profound. We take it for granted because we've grown up on this side of history. But he was looking at all of the Jewish promises of God, the, all of the Jewish Old Testament, the promises of God, the prophecies of God. He says, you are that person. You are the promised Messiah. You have come to take away the sins of the world. He had no idea how God would do it through Jesus, but he knew who Jesus was. And Jesus answered him. He said, you're blessed, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't reach this based on your own understanding, obviously, because we heard what you said yesterday, Simon. He said, this wasn't your own understanding, but my father who is in heaven, God gave you this wisdom. And he goes on and he says, I tell you, you are Peter. That's how smart Peter was. Like, remember, you're Peter, right? Like, he's, he's telling him. Like, you think, oh, man, Peter's so brilliant. Like, Jesus has to remind him of his name. And on this rock, this confession of who I am, I will build my church. The story of Acts is the story of God building his church. Make no, no mistake, it is God who builds his church. You are Simon, son of John. You are blessed. My father gave you this wisdom on this confession of faith that I am who the scripture says I am, that I will do what the scripture says I will do, that I will build my church on that confession. In the gates of hell, the greatest attacks of the enemy will not prevail against it. Go on. I will give you, he says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what he said, the strategy that Jesus had from the day he stepped down from heaven to earth to live a life, perfect life, to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to be raised victorious from the grave. He says, I'm going to take this entire message, this life that I lived and died for, and I am going to entrust it to my church. 
which God sees around corners I don't see around, but I also have, often have questions. Kevin DeYoung, the theologian, says this. He says, the keys of the kingdom of God, the keys of the kingdom of God, reference in this passage we just read, the authority of that kingdom, the right to act in its name, are given in this age by the king to the church. See, like, we're under this impression, like, our culture has lulled us to sleep, or just maybe many years of easy Christianity has lulled us to sleep. It's like, church is just something we go to. And what Kevin DeYoung is saying, he's saying, like, you don't understand, like, the keys of the kingdom, the ability to advance the kingdom of God against the forces of darkness have been given by the king of kings to the church. That's who it's been entrusted to. He said, it's not the government, nor to any king or pope or any, sorry, Catholics, or any other ruler, but rather to the church. To this ragtag bunch of argumentative, self-centered, struggling for holiness, but gloriously for... It's like, how does he know us? Like, Kevin DeYoung's never been here. Sinners, the keys of the kingdom of God are given. To put it another way, the church acts as a sort of embassy for the government of the king, as an outpost of the kingdom of God, surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. And just as an embassy of a nation is meant, at least in part, to showcase the life of that nation to the surrounding people... So the church is meant to manifest the life of the kingdom of God to the world around it. Like this is not just what we do. It's not just what we attend. It's who we are as the church of Christ, the body of Christ. If you thought you were just coming to church today, if you thought you were just coming to sit in a almost straight chair to sing some really good songs, listen to a sermon, you're missing the point. Like we are a people saved by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by the spirit of Jesus, and sent into the world to spread the name, the fame, and the reign of Jesus. It is through his church that Christ has chosen to advance his kingdom. And it's a special privilege to pray, play a part in it. It's also a special privilege to pray, but I stumbled over myself. And here's what I was, I was thinking about. When I, when I started reading through the book of Acts, when I started seeing what the people in the front lines of the kingdom of God and the building of his church got to be a part of, I was really convicted that if you've ever felt like you have to go to church instead of waking up and saying you get to go to church, either we're doing something wrong or you're here, you missed the point. Like you don't have to come to church. You get to be part of the church. Now, I don't, I don't mean by that that it's easy. You get the overflow of my walk with Jesus. And one of the things that God has been telling me is that just because it's hard doesn't mean it's good. In fact, often the best things in our life are on the other side of the hardest days of our life, the hardest disciplines of our life. Being part of the church is hard. Like if you've been a part of our church for more than two minutes, like you know it's hard. We start at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Most people aren't up. Some people aren't in bed yet at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. We start shutting down early on Saturday night because we know that Sunday is coming. I'm not, I wish I could say I'm the first one on the scene. I'm not. There is a parking lot full of people here at 6.58 on Sunday mornings before the school is even open and available to us because they are anxious and ready to set up to make environments that invite people to exchange the common for the holy. They, they sweat before, you guys, before the rest of you guys ever wake out of bed in the morning. They, they pray and they fast throughout the week to put worship services in order. They think about every detail. How, how chipped are these things becoming? Are they representing that everything we do is for the glory of God? If so, let's get some very fancy tablecloths to cover these things. Like Every detail is thought through and prayed through because we take this seriously. It is costly by our time, our energy, our resources. It is expensive to us. 
but it is worth it. It's worth it when we're out there, my dad and Dale, two of the oldest people in our church at 7.05 a.m. nailing massive signs into the ground because every time someone, sorry, Dale, but that big gray beard, it just gives you away. You're not 20 anymore. Um, because every time someone comes to our church and, they, and I say, I always do like, we are running a church. We're sharing the name of Jesus. This is also, there's a bit of a business to it. So I always do the obligatory, hey, how'd you hear about us? It's always the website, which demonstrates the power of God to draw people to himself through his church, or the signs. And every time someone says the signs, I'm like, Dale, these people came because they saw the signs. And they're like, why are you, I don't, I'm just new here. Please stop yelling in front of me. But, but I want Dale to know, like, man, there is, there is purpose in placing those signs out there. Like, it, it's hard when you guys on the worship team come every week and you sing these songs. And, like, I get to see the behind the scenes, the, I mean, it's not arguing, but it's not always, like, bells and whistles as they put the worship service together. But they, they do the hard work so that when the time comes, they can sing songs that lead people in worship free from distraction. Like, it's hard to sit under the authority of God's word every week. Like, I wish I could teach this like it's a textbook, but the Holy Spirit takes his word all. What you get, and you complain about 40 minutes, God does this for seven days on me every week. So you should be thankful you only get 40 minutes of conviction. But it is hard to come early. It's hard to stay late and tear down. But man, it is a privilege to get to tear down with someone new to faith, trying to figure out spiritual things and have an environment of spiritual conversations. Like you complain that it's too hard to do it at work. We literally give you 15 or 20 minutes after every worship service. Grab someone new and say, hey, help me fold up chairs. Help me take down curtains. And we'll talk about things that matter most. And when we pour in and we pour out, when we show up and when we sacrifice and when we serve, every time we get to see someone come to faith for the very first time, every time we celebrate Baptism Sunday, we get to rejoice that it's a privilege to play a part in watching God build his church. Every time we get to see someone to start, start, start spending time in God's word, reading the scripture for the very first time, just sitting on the edge of their seat because they're seeing the Holy Spirit at work through his word and in their life, man, we realize it is a privilege to be a part of the church that God is building. Every time that we, want, we create an environment so someone else can stand in awe of God as they worship, it is a privilege to play a part in the church that God is building. Every time we sign up to serve or see someone sign up to serve and realize that they are moving from a consumer to a contributor for the very first time, man, it is a privilege to realize that we are part of the church that God is building. Every time that we give and we give off the top and we give generously, man, it is a privilege to watch God, what God can do through a few faithful dollars from a few faithful people. And here's the thing, that's just on Sunday morning. Like, the work of the church is the church at work. This is like a shot in the arm to remind you of the goodness and the grace of God. We put all that energy and effort into Sunday morning so the church can worship, so they can go from here and be the church in their place of business, be the church in their school, in their sorority, in their environment, in their home, if they're a stay-at-home parent raising kids. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. It is a special privilege to play a part in what the Holy Spirit is doing as he builds his church. This is the only way we can influence and affect the eternal trajectory of someone's life. I've always asked that God would use us to build a church that only he could take credit for, which might be the most foolish prayer I've ever prayed because that would, that would give the impression that I think I could build a church, and I can't. But that's exactly what God is doing. And I say often that I have the best job in the world because I'm the only person that gets paid to be here to hang out with you guys. But I get to follow Jesus 
with my best friends. I get a front row seat to watch God work and change people's lives. I get a front row seat. I get to hear what takes place in community group. I get to hear what takes place as the Spirit of God brings the Scripture to life for the very first time. And it is a privilege. It is a special privilege to play a, a part in what God is doing. Um, that was three verses. 23 left. All right. Brandon's got to get on a flight at like 12.15, so let's pick up the pace. Um, and while staying with them, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, to wait. You guys like to wait? But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power if you look down when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This might be the most difficult instruction that the Holy Spirit gives in all of the Bible. Jesus just showed up, risen from the dead, nail-pierced hands, spent 40 days with his disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. I watched these football games yesterday, and every team except for UCF was ready to run through the wall when the coach gave their speech. Like, I can just imagine these, these 12 disciples and their friends and their family, and Jesus is like, the kingdom of God, you're going to push back darkness. And I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he says, all right, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hurry up, and I want you to Wait. I don't know if I would wait. I'd be like, I don't know, Jesus, that sounds pretty good. I think I've got it. He says, no, 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 no. Like, you've got a glimpse of it, but the Holy Spirit, he's the one, and he's going to come, and he's going to give you power. Like, Peter, you remember every time you messed up? Like, I know I just gave you the best explanation of the kingdom of God, but 15 seconds from now, 15 steps out this door, you're going to forget everything I said. You're going to say something completely theologically incorrect, and you are just going to make a fool of yourself. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you the Greek word dunamis, the power, the explosive power, the forceful power of the kingdom of God, and his spirit will build your church. And you don't, what's so cool about trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry with you is you get not only his power, but you get his presence. You get to do it with him. And I know, like, we get really excited. My wife, thankfully, I mean, she's the best, but she has been, I think she watched HDTV or something, and she has been renovating our entire home. I've already shared with you, she, she threw a birthday party for our daughter, so I paint the entire house, landscape the front. She's been buying things every day. Something shows up from Amazon. The other day, I was just getting ready to go out for work, and the doorbell rang, and I don't even guess at this point. I'm like, Carissa, your package is here. And I opened the door, and in front of the door is like a massive box, and I couldn't ignore it because I, I couldn't step out the door. I bring it in, and I was like, what is this? She's like, it's all new lights for our house. Like, well, good. I, what was wrong with, never mind. What was wrong with the old lights? I have no idea. None of the lights. new lights. And it's the middle of the work day. I've got a meeting. And she's like, well, I'm just going to hang these real quick. I was like, okay, first of all, real quick, like, have you ever done electrical work? She's like, no. It's like, can you reach the ceiling? You're four feet tall. And, and I was like, if you will just wait for me, when the, the work day is over, I, if I go, I will come back in the way, same way you have seen me go. And I will help you. If you've read Luke, you know. Or, uh, uh, I will help you hang the lights. And she's like, nah. <laughs> she opened the box, saw how many parts there were, put them back in the box and waited. So um, nonetheless, the point is I tease her because I love her and she is stuck with me. I would tease you because we all do the same thing, right? Like we all do the same thing. There's a part of us that when something good takes place, man, we want it and we want it now. Jesus gave this speech, the kingdom of God, the church, you've got the keys. And then he says, wait. Because if the church is going to go forth and if the church is going to change the world and the church is going to push back darkness, I'm going to be honest, that's above our pay grade. Like, I think we have the best church in the world. 
It's above our pay grade. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the power of God. And the beauty of doing it with the Holy Spirit is we get to do it with his presence. It goes on uh, in verse 12. We're skipping ahead. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem. Oh, we skipped kind of a big deal. Jesus ascended back to heaven. He's going to come back the same way. Hang around the church long enough, you'll be there when the story ends. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So they're there, they go back. It says, when they entered, they went to the, sorry, they went to an upper room. When they entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And then here's what it says. It says, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All of these with one accord were, this is what I've highlighted in my Bible, devoting themselves to prayer devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons within all was about 120. I love this passage in Acts because we love, like if you've read the book of Acts, like you know, man, it picks up and it's like a movie that's in fast forward. It's just one victory after another. It's incredible. But before the Holy Spirit launches his church, the people of God gather together and they pray. And they pray for 10 days, pleading with God to be faithful to his promises, to pour out his spirit, and to allow them to go forth to change the world. Prayer is an opportunity for us to just, not just talk with God, but to hear from God and to fellowship with God. It says all of these all of these, meaning the apostles who were named, minus Judas, hanging in a field somewhere, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, some of the other women, and then a bunch of people whose names have been lost to history. But all of them gathered together and they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Devoted means to adhere constantly, to dwell always on. It's like, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and sorry if this steps on your toes, Looking around our church, I don't think so. I think we've already scared these people away. But, like, you know the hardest part of doing CrossFit? It's like keeping it to yourself, right? Like, if you meet a CrossFitter, how do you know they're a CrossFitter? Because as soon as you meet them, they tell you. I think the same thing is true of power lifters. Uh, it's, also true of, it's also true of vegans and atheists. So if there's a connection, I don't know. You, but, like, nonetheless, I just kid. But it, what the point is, it's always on mine because it's who they are. It's who they are. The, the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. The church, they devoted themselves to prayer. I only tease people I love, but nonetheless, they devoted themselves to prayer. That's why we're, why we're such a small church. I've got to stop doing that. We have no cat lovers. It's just nonetheless. Um, they devoted themselves to prayer because it's who they were. They were the people of God. They spent time with God. They were given the power of God. And they found their joy in the presence of God. It's why my rhythm, I've told you, I work so hard to develop a rhythm of prayer because I realize that spending time with God, both as a pastor and just as a person trying to follow Jesus, is absolutely essential because I cannot do one day in the direction of God without the power of Jesus. It's easy to lose focus and forget. I was thinking about this this week. Uh, a few few years ago, we gathered as a launch team. Uh, it started as three. It grew to six. I guilted my family into it. came to 15. But nonetheless, we got to about 30 people, uh, 30 relatively unimpressive, unnamed people. And we, But what, here's what we did. We prayed. At least I think so, because I asked them to pray. Every day, we prayed the same prayer. God, please draw people to yourself through your church. 
Not the most profound prayer, but it was, it was our prayer. God, please draw people to yourself through your church. We didn't pray for God to give us a big church. I did, but nonetheless, I, God, draw people to yourself through your church. I didn't pray for a certain amount of money. I didn't pray for a certain number of chairs. I didn't pray for a location. I just said, God, if you're going to build a church here, draw people to yourself through your church. You build your church. Every person who's come to Eastside in the last three years has been an answer to that prayer. Every person who's left Eastside in the last three years has been an answer to another prayer, but that's another story for another day. My challenge to you as we start the book of Acts, let's pray that prayer again. Every day as you wake up to pray, if you have five minutes or 15 minutes or 55 minutes, whatever you've got, just simply say, God, would you draw people to yourself through your church? For 28, 32, 36, 48, however many weeks it takes us to get through the book of Acts, let's pray together. God, draw people to yourself through your church. And the last thing, I just want to read one more verse to you, verse 16. It says, brothers, Peter stood up in the company of about 120 people. He said this. He said, brothers, the scripture, and this is what I've circled in my Bible, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now he's talking about a specific example that they would have to replace Judas who betrayed Jesus and left a seat open in the, the apostolic leadership of the church. But all I come back to is this verse. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. If God is going to build his church, we have to build his church his way. The instruction, the inspiration is right here in the Bible. Like someone ordered, let's say, a box full of lights from Amazon, and they came in a thousand different pieces. How are we going to put them together? I have no idea. The instructions are right there in the box. The instructions to build a church are right here. The instructions to faithful living with Jesus are right here. The instructions to experience immeasurably more by exchanging the common for the holy, like they're right here. And when I say that, like, man, I pray that I live that. The church we build, the church I lead is going to be a church that is we stand and say, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And for the sake of time, I want to give you a very quick, very quick, very vague example because our church is so small. Uh, Nick and I had a leadership challenge this week. Um, Nick, that's not why he's not here. He's off serving the church on a macro scale, leading worship at a conference. But um, we didn't know what to do. Like we were on opposite sides of each other, which hardly ever happens. We had a very clear obstacle in front of us, and it was how we disciple and lead people to follow Jesus. And I came to him. I said, Nick, I don't think this is the way to go. And he came to me. And he said, I don't think this is the way to go. And I'm trying to spare you the details. You know what we did? We sat for three hours with a Bible. And then we sat for three more hours with a Bible and a coach who loved Jesus and followed Jesus more. And all we did was search the scriptures. I'll tell you what. I tell you that because it was the most humbling day I've had in recent memory. Because honestly, if I was completely honest, there's days where I think I kind of got this down. Like I kind of got this, how do I follow Jesus down? But I was challenged and I was convicted. And Nick and I sat together and we left the table that evening more in line with one another, more in step with the spirit, more humble, more convicted than I think we've ever been before. And I see the attacks of Satan on our church. He's trying to sow seeds of doubt and distrust with God, discourage us, distract us, derail us from the mission that God has given us. When those obstacles come, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit because Satan is stronger than we are, but he's not stronger than God. We're going to sit under the authority of his word. We are going to take every single word in here to heart and we're going to let it change us that we might be a people who faithfully follow God. 
who put ourselves in position to experience the power of God. I don't pretend to understand everything God does. I really don't understand why he died on a cross and left that message in the hands of us. But that's what he chose to do. And God honors obedience. God honors us when we spend time in his presence. And so as we prepare to endeavor through the book of Acts, we're going to see one of the greatest stories, the greatest story ever recorded. This is real history. It has really changed the world because 2,000 years later, we are here gathered together teaching and preaching and proclaiming the promises of God. And we are going to align our life and align our practices and align our church with the, the, the instruction of God. And we are going to pray with God. God, use us to advance your name, your fame, and your reign from the east side of Orlando and beyond. That's the privilege of being part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your goodness and grace. And we are humbled. Father, we should be humbled that we get to be a part of this, lest we ever take it for granted. Father, we are grateful that we get to contribute, that we get to come early and leave late, that we get to set up and we get to tear down, that we get to sing songs of praise and sit under your word. Father, we are grateful because something so significant that we can't even wrap our mortal minds around is taking place in our midst. You are saving us from the fallout and the consequences of our sin. You are sanctifying us. You're shaping us to the image of your son. And on our most difficult days, you're drawing us even more into your presence, giving us an ever-increasing affection for Jesus. Lord, this is not something we take lightly. This is a special privilege to play a significant part in transforming the spiritual landscape of the city you have called us to live in. We thank you so much for Jesus. I pray that you would help us to take it seriously. As we sing song, as we make much of you, make yourself known to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.